Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 230. And in today's episode, I have a topic uh, that we're going to talk about. But at first, I'm going to take care of just a little bit of business about all this stuff. One of the things for any of the listeners, and I know there's a fair number of them that are in the Colorado area, the Rocky Mountain area, the Front Range area, really, unless you're willing to drive a little bit. But the the Rocky Mountain Pointing Lab Club, which has been around since about 19, I'm going to say 90 or 91 or two or something like that, uh, is really kind of resurrected. Uh, our president was on the board of the American Pointing Lab Association, and he's off, and another one of our officers is uh was on that and is off so there's a lot more time and energy that uh, they're devoting to the Rocky Mountain Club and the activities and I'm on there as well and a bunch of other annoying real energetic people so we've got a lot of things uh, planned and a lot of things going so I just want to get this out and encourage people in this area and you don't have to have a pointing lab it's just it's for anybody with a retriever that they want to train and learn about and get better and and, and you, you don't even have to hunt, really. I mean, although retrieving is the basis of everything that we do, uh, you can be competitive anywhere or you can be just in a hunter. And the other thing about it, even though it's the Rocky Mountain Pointing Lab Club, just like my podcast is Training the Pointing Labrador, it's for, it's really about retrievers. So if you have, you know, we have some Goldens in there. We used to have some Tollers. Um, the retriever people are welcome. And we do, the club also specializes in the retriever stuff and the upland. So whether your dog points or does not point, uh, there's very little difference in terms of you got to stay in gun range, particularly for you flushers. Uh, You can't chase birds. Safety, safety, safety. You know, that kind of thing. And so regardless of what kind of training day we have, whether it's an upland day or a retrieving day, uh, it goes for everybody. So I encourage everybody you guys are welcome you know we have a number of training properties we have some extremely good people and by good i mean they know what they're doing their dogs are good they are very interested in bringing new people on so if you look up the rocky mountain pointing lab club just do a search on they got a web page they got a facebook page um, and you can access people and get so i would encourage that as a matter of fact as one of their very first things this year um, is a new puppy and, and new to dog training training day on March 4th. And that's going to be on their website and on the Facebook page, all the details of that. I'm, I'm heading that because I'm the biggest mouth of all. And also because that's my very favorite, honestly, the, my very favorite group of people and dogs to worth, work with is people that are a little concerned about getting started. I don't know. I don't even know if I want to do this. I don't know if my dog is good enough. I don't even know what to do. It's going to be, we're going to have birds for bird introductions where appropriate. You know, if somebody's dog is just wildly out of control, we're probably not going to introduce them to birds and have them run, you know, to Nebraska chasing them. But for where, like the little guys and the controllable dogs, we can have bird introductions. We're going to have things about how do you, how do you teach your dog to be responsive to you? Oh, he doesn't listen. He doesn't come when I call. And if there's a distraction, they don't do anything. What do we do about that kind of stuff? So that's what March 4th training day is going to be. I'm going to be there. And then uh, some other people that know a lot so that we can help everyone that comes. 
Um, and it's not going to be unlimited. We don't want a gazillion people there. But we, so if you're interested, get the information, look it up, sign up if you can, because we want to make sure that we are able to help everybody. And I'm going to be leading the way because I'm the most obnoxious. So I'm going to make sure that I work with everybody and that we give people something to go home with and work with and maybe, you know, get a little bit more believing that they can do this. So that's, I just wanted to make sure. And then stay tuned because we've got training days also for more advanced stuff and middle of the ground stuff. And it goes for you guys, not just retrievers that go point stuff because there aren't, although Toller's Point, Flatcoat's Point, Golden's Point, so who knows what we would discover if they were out there, but um, it's for retrievers, so you guys, you're welcome to join, love to have you, I think it's going to be a really, really good thing, um, so moving on from, from that today, I also want people to know in terms of, and those of you that listen to the, if you're brand new, you're out of the drama. You're just totally out of the drama. So just hang with me through this and we'll get to dog stuff. But because, you know, I started the podcast and then I go through this wild, crazy, unpleasant, kind of awful divorce and, and lost the property that I was training on. Um, and so currently right now I'm living someplace where I, I have my winter dog and that's it. And so what, I'm doing several things. One, of course, I'm president of the APLA, so that's a very time-consuming thing. Um, I'm also uh, involved in the Rocky Mountain Pointing Lab Club, trying to make sure that is a real good thing for people. I'm also, until things get, you know, I figure out how I'm going to manage all this situation, I am giving private lessons. I think I mentioned that before. I'm not trying to drum up business. That's not why I'm saying this. It's just that a lot of people are unaware of it. I am giving private lessons to people on whatever, if it's water stuff, right now is not good, but on all the other stuff, um, that's an option. So you can get on my website, which is, uh, I think, uh, at the bottom of the show notes on this, Batesworks, it's my name, uh, .net. But anyway, that's another thing that I'm doing if people are, because I'm get still getting people wanting to send me dogs, and um, right now, that's a no-can-do thing, so I'm trying to help them if I can, and if not, then I... I recommend people, but uh, most of the, the people that I recommend in terms of the pointing labs are not right around here because right now there's nobody that's doing that kind of active training uh, on, a, on a real high level. So, all right, that's the other business. Today's topic, kind of along with what I'm talking about right now, today's topic is going to be uh, about the last, last week's podcast was on puppy picking. And that appeared to be a fairly popular podcast. Everybody at least likes hearing about that stuff or thinking about it. So that's, you know, if somebody's really, if somebody's looking at getting a dog or thinking about it, that's at least some real good food for thought as you approach this. The next thing, and I'm not going to go through, I've already gone through a big series of this, but I'm going to emphasize a certain aspect. When people bring their puppies home and you go through that puppy stage, there's, that's where a lot of the problems that people are going to have with their dog always initiate. That's where they are established. Usually people are unaware of that. And then they continue and go on into their regular lives. And then you try to pay somebody to help you, you know, address something that it was basically unintentionally created or maybe just misunderstood. 
because it seems to be kind of a scary topic, really. And, and depending on where you go, you get some very divergent device. If you go to your local, um, the local trainer that's really addressing, you know, suburbia and pets and you want to be able to walk them down the street, you get kind of one approach. And it, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying anything about that, all right? It, but you get an approach that makes this situation work in town on the leash so everybody's got the the harnesses on and treats in their hand. And I know this now because I see it every day. Um, and they have this way of dealing with it, and that's perfectly fine. And then you got some people that are like, oh, you know, well, let's get them wild and crazy and chasing birds if you're into that. And they're out there running wild and learning that you run wild first. <laughs> One way or you learn that you, you, you always do everything for a baking bit. And, you know, in certain applications and all that, that's fine. I like to take it to a little bit more of an academic level uh, and get people to think about it a little bit differently from that. That's all. I'm not saying anybody's right, wrong, anything. I'm just saying in experience, I think that I have found in my own personal dogs and the hundreds and I don't know how many hundreds of dogs I've trained, a certain approach that is effective and doesn't require lots of, uh, you don't have to have lots of electric collars and you don't have to have treats and you don't have to have harnesses and all that kind of stuff. So I, I kind of approach it with that. And the reason, and here's my bottom line reason, having been in the dog world for all of my life, is I, whether it's my little wiener dog that I have, nine pound dog, field champion, in case anyone hasn't heard me brag about that endlessly, she's a field, AKC field champion, but just a little tiny dog, she's never had, she's never had a choke chain, oh, I, there's a couple weeks she did. Uh, when she was physically mature, but she doesn't have electric collars and she doesn't have choke chains and she doesn't have any healing sticks and all the stuff that the retriever people use. She hadn't had any of that. I need that little dog and every other pet I've ever had come when I call it. Because sometimes she's out at a training group with us when we're training the retrievers and there's somebody getting a mean dog out, I need to be able to call her and have her come to me. Right? It's so it's a safety thing. And for those of us that hunt and compete, it is a safety thing. You have got to, in my opinion, be able to call your dog off the chase of a bird. Well, they shouldn't be chasing them, but even, even if they think they can, you should be able to call them off. If they want to chase the squirrel or the neighbor's cat across the street, it would be very nice regardless of what accoutrements they had on their body at the time, you could call them and they would come. And there's a zillion places where the safety and the well-being of an animal requires that the dog believe that it needs to do what you've asked regardless of anything else. Whether it has, you have bacon bits, whether you have a big long leash on it, whether you have electric collar on it, there needs to be something set up where the dog actually believes in you and does what you say. And that's very feasible. And Anyone can do it, and yes, anyone can do it, if they understand the approach with a dog. So that's what I'm going to talk about. And if I can do it with a little wiener dog, you can do it with just about anything that cares about you and is interested in, in working with you. So when puppies come home, and again, I said that's where we establish 
a lot of things that we're going to have to contend with all through the puppy stages. It, the people with a one-year-old and a two-year-old dog that say, well, you know, they're still a puppy. What I hear on the little foreign language subtitle underneath is, yeah, I never really did get this dog to respond to me very well. That's what I hear. Because at one or two years of age, yes, even for these crazy retrievers, they can be very well-behaved dogs. <laughs> very, very possible. When they're not, it's because they have never learned to be. It's not because of their age. So yes, all the Labrador people with your one-year-old, he's still a puppy, means you, there's some work that was not done on that dog. So what is that and how do we approach that? When a puppy comes home, now when an eight-week-old puppy, assuming you're getting something that's, you know, right from the litter, when they, they don't have enough mental acuity to learn a lot, and if you're jamming all kinds of heel and sit and stuff on them when they're that young, thinking, well, just through repetition, you know, they will learn this stuff. To a degree, repetition teaches them, you know, this is the dance step we're doing and this is what happens. It doesn't really teach them to be responsive, but it does teach them the dance step. And as long as you're in the ballroom and the music's playing, they'll follow the dance step. Problem is, you leave the ballroom or turn off the music, there's no dance step. So I hope that makes sense. But you get your little eight-week-old and you teach them to sit. And a lot of people like to make them steady on retrieves at that age. You know, and I would never do that. Sometimes it's fine. Other times it makes retrieving a chore. Oh, God, we have to do this. And, you know, we really don't want that. But at eight weeks, the little mind doesn't get stuff. So you need to decide at eight, nine, ten weeks when they're, they're, going, they're like a toddler stage, right? And like some toddlers, you can kind of get them reading and understanding stuff. And some toddlers, no interest, no computing at all. Doesn't mean there aren't going to be scientists, you know, or doctors or something. It just means right then the brain is not capable of doing all that stuff. So you have to be aware of that. Don't ask mentally too much understanding. And just rote repeating drills um, on a real young dog. If you have just a, again, the high rolling, crazy fire breathing dragon, you might want to introduce a little bit of that to, to address what's going on in their head. And all dog work, all dog training, all dog handling and managing is about what is in that dog's head, not yours. But the mistake that we all make, all of us, is that we are in our own heads deciding, well, this is what should be happening, and this is what I, I was told to do, and not taking into account that what's going on in that little dog's head, because that's really all that matters, okay? Just like if you were an elementary school teacher, and you stood up at the board and presented, if they even do that anymore, uh, it, and presented all the material, and said, all right, this is what you will do, and you went through it exactly as you should, you know, there's going to be a bell curve. Some, you know, a third of the classroom or so maybe got it. And the board, the part that fell, the third that fell asleep didn't, and the third on the other side that you went way too slow and boring, just tuned you out, got nothing. So that doesn't work. As a teacher of anything, as a raiser of anything, 
you have to know, you have to understand where they are and you have to reach them where they are. So when you get a little eight or nine or ten week old puppy and they are just chaotic, just crazy, you know, just wild and crazy, that means what their body is doing is telling you what's in their head. So when they just run around crazy and don't pay any attention to you and chew everything up, just say, okay, we have a very chaotic thinking process. With the very chaotic thinking process, very easy to see, and you know, they don't look in the eye and they're so busy and they want anything but whatever you're doing and they can't, they can't sit still. Those are the kind of little guys that you want to kind of reel in their thinking a little bit, not through pressure, not through doing it over and over. And over. There's nothing worse to do with an ADHD brain than do something over and over and over. That's a guarantee that nothing good will come of that just like it is with humans. So they're real chaotic. Then begin to bring it in a little bit. In other words, you got a little nine-week-old dog that's just wild and crazy. So go do the walk with them. And at a level that the dog is physically very tired and mentally very tired because they were having to work so hard at whatever level is safe for them to keep up with you and figure out how you got over that log and all that kind of stuff. So you can, by using their energy, not in a chaotic fashion, but in a focused fashion, and that's like trying to keep up with you. Okay, we kind of rein in a little bit of that chaotic thinking. Another way with a little guy is put them on a little collar, not choke chain, little guys. Brains, their brains, their necks cannot handle that physicality. Put them on a little collar. I'm, I'm going to say no on the, no on the, uh, and I, f I fall in the, I, this is against what all regular dog people are saying right now not the harness thing, put them on a little collar this wide and we can't hurt anything. And let's just have them on your left side or your right side, whichever one you choose, choose a side. And then take them for a walk down a wood a trail, not next to the highway and cars and stuff like that, because if they got away, yeah, that would be bad. Take them on a trail somewhere uh, or the dirt part of the park and walk them over there and keep them on your left side and move forward at your speed. And eventually, they will learn that when I when I, we go out there, I have to do this. And then when you stop, make them sit down. Not all perfect like it's going to be eventually. Make them sit down. In other words, we're putting some focus on a physical activity, so we're addressing that chaotic thinking. That's how you have to approach all of these dogs. One, you have to recognize it, and two, then you have to do things that help them out a little bit. Okay, there's no training pressure in this, there's no enforcement, there's no punishment, there's no correction. We are just getting into their head and forcing the development of certain synapses which are going to be beneficial to this dog and to the things that you do with them. Now on the other hand, if you get one that's kind of lumpy, <laughs> you got one that's not crazy and wild, that like will just sit there next to you on a floor of the couch and just look at you and smile and you know when you get up to go outside they go are you sure well all right all right so you, you have and there's a lot of ways what i call lumpy and, and can manifest and that is you know and it, there's not near as much going on in their head as that wild and crazy one so with this one no matter what you get the dog for we would like to generate some interest in things and so, because that's why, presumably, you got the dog. 
unless you're a 90 year old lady and you want the dog to sit next to you all day get a lumpy one and teach it to do that but if you got one because you want to go do some stuff let's generate some interest and passion for something you know for the retriever guys do that with the retrieving the little wild and crazy one would retrieve a hundred times so don't do that because that increases the wild and crazy but on the little disinterested one also not a hundred times once or twice generate some interest in that not by food because then the interest is in food but by the retrieving so get them interested in that because when you start getting the more challenging obedience training and control training your leverage on all of that is their passion for the work their passion for the retrieving that's your leverage so if you have a dog with a relative amount of disinterest you need to create as much passion as you can as that dog possesses and then you can even get a little more sometimes you can create more passion in that dog um, so that later on when you start doing stuff it's a little more demanding like you know come you come from 100 yards away when I call you and then you don't want to but you have to anyway you you create that by having that dog understand I, I, I always do what they say and it's always good it's always the right thing and you start out by again the, the mildly interested ones create a passion the walk is the best place in the world for that take the little dog and then in the beginning the mild guys that aren't real interested don't even want to go because it's like hard I can you mean I gotta keep walking can we just go back so pick them up take them out okay a quarter mile from where where the house or the car or whatever set them down and walk back all right so there's no one to go nowhere to go back to or run back to the house so they're gonna go with you because there's really nothing else to do and with with doing this every day not in the exact same place because that's boring but by doing this every day this becomes an adventure and fun and they're with you and then maybe right in the middle of it you throw that puppy bumper if you got a retriever a dog that's interested in retrieving throw that once or twice put it back go back you begin to create the highlight of this dog's day now i'm going to say and i've always said this with everybody whether you got the high rolling crazy dog that you only want to throw a couple retrieves do not drain their energy by creating a complete lack of focus on what's ultimately going to be their job and that's the retrieving do not that is always a mistake 100 percent of the time that when when they're got the chaotic crazy head and you throw over and over and over all those crazy chaotic synapses just get stronger and stronger and stronger and that is not what you want ever particularly as their brain is forming into what it's going to be for the next 13 or 15 years so don't do that if you have the little disinterested guy do one or two if you can always end before they're bored at all with the wild and crazy ones okay get this one or two maybe three that's all because we just want them to learn you and with them maybe make them sit and wait a little bit right with the one disinterested no wait and just throw let them go but the one that's the one that's kind of disinterested or crazy make them sit for a minute make them wait so that they learn you get that but you have to sit first and then you do a couple so they are intensely get this part this is very important they are intensely focused on the retrieving because 
it's so good and they get to don't get to do very much so they go out and get it and they come back because that's the only way you get the next one and then you do one or two more and then you stop so the next time each time when you do retrieves they are intensely focused on it and they absolutely love it and your leverage goes way up when you're going to have to get kind of demanding on them on the control stuff because you will but they don't care because they love this so much and they don't just get to do it until they're exhausted from it or just worn down a lot that that's one of the worst things you can do to any dog in the world is lots and lots of retrieves i don't care how much they like it it, it you're using that very often to get out of exercising them yourself get out there and exercise your dog either on a bike or on foot just do something to get them that kind of exercise where there's the thing they're focused on is enjoying where they are and staying with you boy there's a million ways that's going to be good later on whether you're hiking or you're hunting they always stay with you that's all they know they don't know anything any different and it's all because they focused on it every day as a puppy that you did it right so and then the one in between you know it's in between you still only do a few retrieves that's your leverage for the the more advanced training that's coming on and for the border collies you know and the uh, the wiener dogs it, the leverage for them is different for the border collies it's them going out and doing that crazy border collie hurting everything in a group thing and for my wiener dog you know when she gets to go hunt bunnies and squirrels and things in the ground she's in heaven and she'll do anything to do that so i had my leverage there for all the stuff that she has to do it's it really comes down to that but that requires that you as a dog owner have to understand, right, what kind of head do I have on this dog? Um, what's the thinking? Do I need it to be more passionate than it is? Or do I need it to be way more focused than it is? And you start addressing those things. And, okay, this is me now. I don't, I'm not, there's nowhere on earth that I would bring food in there. <laughs> I would not do it. I, they're not I don't want them to do it for food they're doing it because that's our thing and we are establishing a very strong very consistent relationship between each other and that's the basis of everything that we're doing and when you put the harness on the dog because and it, it disperses the compressive stress on the dog's neck to the whole front shoulder region and so there you go you still haven't gained anything in terms of the dog going okay i'll heal by you <laughs> you can make them force them to stay with you with it dispersing the compressive stress across the front of them absolutely um and i guess for people that's easier you still got the same force pulling on you but i i just don't see that i instead i like to teach the dog you walk next to me don't pull it off <laughs> I, it doesn't matter what i've got on you or if I have nothing on you, you walk next to me. So there's nowhere that a harness teaches that. Use a harness in your neighborhood. If it works for you, go do it. But it doesn't teach a dog a life-saving thing. And that's what I'm talking about here. So this is a vast topic. And it, of course, continues into the training. But you need leverage to get the kind of nice obedience and control and responsiveness that you want. That requires a passion and enjoyment for something. That means you need to understand the dog you have and what they like. And then you have to give them opportunities, preferably every day, 
whether it's the retrieving, whether in the beginning they don't like that till you get out on the walk and it's kind of fun. And, you know, and I'm going to say, <laughs> don't throw sticks if you can, because there are sticks everywhere. And so if you teach them, hey, retrieving's all about sticks. I've had dogs literally in competitive events when they couldn't locate a duck that kind of stuck down in something. Grab a big old stick and bring it back to me because their owners had thrown lots of sticks. And same hunting. I can't find it. So here, this is good. <laughs> so if you get, you know, if you're going on your walk or you're going out to do your retrieving thing, have your bumper of whatever sort. I would not have feathers on it. I would not have stinky pheasant scent spray on it. Have them like for the retrievers, retrieving for the sake of retrieving. And have a thing when they see you put that bumper in your pocket. Wow, they get so excited. That's a good thing. And then use that excitement. Okay, we're going to go do this, but you got to walk with me right now. And there's your leverage to require that they do that. Now, how do you enforce all that stuff? That's another topic. You know, and again, that's in my book. That's in the videos. That's in um, any good life-saving type dog trainer, how to get them to do that. And we can talk about that too, and I have before. But really understand, you know, where that dog is. And if you've kind of really done anything because you didn't know what to do, and you got a big, strong dog now, and it just thinks that it just exerts its will if it can, and that's its perspective on life, you can't really be mad at the dog on that because not intentionally, you never intend to teach them stuff you don't want them to know. But when they think, just try to do whatever you want because... Your life isn't very defined. Your life isn't very structured and focused on what your purpose is. And their purpose is what gives them meaning and value, guys. It's not just because you're there with them and love them. It's just like the rest of us. When we have something we go do that contributes and helps and we're a part of something, that is a great well-being generator in any animal. And so it's our job, if we can, to do that to our dogs. But it takes a little bit of thinking. And again, there's a lot more to it than this. But at least if I can get people who are bringing their pups home to think about what's going on in that little dog's head and what do I have to do to keep it developing in a way. You know, we do that with our kids, right? We, we want them to enjoy life and have fun and play and be creative and inventive and all that stuff. And we still want them to, when we say, all right, you got to come in now, they do. And that when you got to sit in class and listen to the teacher, you do. And when you have to learn, you know, phonics or whatever, it's important that you kind of know that. So even if it's not that interesting, still kind of pay attention. We want our kids to be able to do that stuff. And we, same with our dogs. So we do things at an early age to, tr to move them in that direction. So when they get to where they're learning that, they are open to it and it's uh, successful. So that's today's. Um, Boy, we're supposed to get six more weeks of winter, and the Northeast is getting wholly hammered with the stuff we've had for the last two months. Um, but I hope spring comes for all of us very soon. Tests are getting started. I'll have some stuff regarding tests and dog preparation and the more advanced things. But right now, I'm, I'm really trying to tune in to the people with new dogs and the little guys. So that's today's. I hope everybody stays healthy, safe, and happy. And I will be back next week.